0: Hello and welcome to Ireland Creates, the podcast about Ireland's storytellers featuring creatives from all walks of life. Thank you for listening. Our audience is growing with each and every episode and I now have listeners from all over the globe, including places like Mexico, Argentina and Thailand. And of course, right here at home in Ireland. I'd love to hear from you. So please do get in touch. And remember, I know many of you return each week and listen, but please do hit that subscribe button. It really does count. On today's show, I speak with photographer David Monaghan. And I started our chat by asking him to describe his childhood growing up in Dublin.
1: Yeah, I suppose I was just like a normal Dublin kid. Um, actually, I growing up, I grew up in a very strange spot in Dublin, which is, I think, three miles from the city centre next to a giant farm. And um, okay. it was a big adventure place. So between... Collins Avenue and Griffith Avenue was all green space and it was a farm run by the Christian Brothers. So myself and a whole bunch of kids from the neighborhood used to spend our days there. And so it was kind of idyllic, you know. Um, But when I was hanging around there, I wasn't thinking of anything like what's going to happen to me after I finished the whole school process. And school in actual fact um, was, I feel, not the happiest time in my life. So I kind of came late to education, you know, I went to work straight after I finished my leave insert and found my way back to college, probably 29, 30 years of age to study photography in um, Dun Laoghaire College of Art and Design. And um, that, things kind of opened up from, from there for me, you know, and um, I... I mean, I don't even think I developed an interest in photography until I was probably in my early 20s, you know, and working. Um, and I could afford to um, to buy um, equipment and stuff like that, you know. So, um, yeah, there was, it was, it was not, um, I wasn't orientated towards uh, photography from childhood or anything like that. Um, my mother always kept made photographs, I suppose, of uh, special family occasions and, you know, a trip to the chemist often involved picking up a packet of photographs that were left in um, the week before and that was all very always very, very exciting. I still have some of those beautiful old photographs from uh, from her collection, you know. And, You'd uh, forget
0: that, actually, that you used to have to go to the chemist. To yeah. Do you know, it, um, it It made sense at the time, of course, but it's not, yeah. it's, it's completely removed. To, that's
1: it. That's it. I mean, yeah. the film is probably would be picked up once a week or twice a week and brought over to a processing plant over in Rath Mines. I think it was, you know, one of these laboratory places. And um and they'd send the stuff back. It was all tickets and collection, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, was, and the little
0: was, uh, paper yeah. bag as well. If I that's it, that that's much, it. Yeah. Yes, yeah.
1: yeah, 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 yeah. The little paper bag with the prints in. And that was all very exciting stuff, for sure. But it didn't happen very often. I, I'm not saying it was a, a weekly occurrence, you know, maybe twice a year. Uh, so um, I suppose I, I, I learned to look at photography with some sort of reverence, I suppose, from those childhood experiences, you know um yeah but i mean as time uh went on and i became more uh involved in the process I and mean, once i found my way into into college i realized that yet yeah, this is actually what i wanted to do um as a career you know to to, to um to make photographs so that's been very satisfying and that i found my way in, in within that um within that area
0: and what you said that you know, you went from school into the working world and yeah. then at a later age went back to education. So what mm. what drew you back?
1: Um, I decided, I suppose, well, I got involved in making photographs back in, I was probably about 21, 22 years of age. And very, very quickly, I realised that it was a very, very consuming process. And... Um, I thought at one point it would be interesting to shift from where I was working at that particular time into working in photography. But I felt that it wouldn't actually be anything I could possibly do without actually having a qualification. So that was the thing that kind of spurned me to go, um, to go back to school, you know, at that particular point. Um, just the wish to turn a kind of a dream into a reality. And so away I went and I mean, you never know these how these things are going to pan out. But the, the two weeks, two weeks before we finished up in college, an ad went up on the back of the door for someone to do a little bit of work over the summertime, uh, in the National Library of Ireland. And I think I I probably was working with them for twenty years after that. You know, on and off in various different. I I, I still am doing little pieces for them. Um as we speak, I did a little bit of work in the in the Heaney exhibition down there the Bank of Ireland Centre, only oh, just between the lockdown and when things reopened there. Um mm-hmm. so so you know that's 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 how these things happen, I suppose. Um
0: and what did the work um in the National Library involve?
1: Oh, it was actually a very, very interesting project, um, which was to do with um the library had been given a gift um, of a collection of glass plates from the pool um, the pool photographic practice in Waterford City, right beside Reginald's Terror is where they had their business. And it would seem that they had it for maybe five or six years and hadn't done too much with it. So um, when it came to it, they decided to uh, employ somebody specifically to go to work on the plates. And they had a whole load of... Um, they had a whole load of um, um, eight by, t- no, maybe they're a bit bigger, imperial sized glass plates. I think they're 12 inches by 10 inches or something like that, which would have been the really, really high end of their work. Um, mostly family portraits, dignitaries, horses, etc, um, etc. Et and they set me to work actually transferring this stuff from um, the glass plate onto 4x5 film, and that was my first little job I did for the, for the National Library at that particular time. It was to last for the summer, I was going back to college, I think, um, at, in September. As it turned out, the course that I was hoping to uh, book onto didn't actually go ahead until the following year, and by that time, I'd established myself within the National Library and um, I was offered a job in the National Museum at the same time as the um, course was about to get going back in college and so I decided okay I'm going to jump and I went to work in the National Museum when I was there for about a year and a half and that was just absolutely amazing uh, experience.
0: I imagine it is. I, and, and maybe it's just me, um, but I'm kind of fascinated about the inner workings of places like that. You know, you go into the National Museum and you see what's on exhibit, what the, the reason you went there on, on any given day. But you don't see the work in the background or, you know, the, maybe the, the rooms uh, and even in some places the, the, the levels of the building that are not open to the public. So it must have been a very interesting time for you.
1: The photographic um, studio in the National Museum of Ireland actually was up a stairs and there was a door onto the stairs which was a, a a metal bar door. So it was kind of as if you were entering into a different world on the next floor. And um, the studio was in a beautiful room. I'm sure the room was meant as a gallery in the first instance. So it was very well decorated. had had one of those fine Italian carved doors on it that that there are quite a lot of in the museum. Um, And, you know, beautiful paintwork, high ceilings, all that kind of stuff. It's an amazing, amazing place to work for sure.
0: And during this time of working for the library and the museum, were you still creating your own photography? How did that all evolve?
1: um so where would I've been there? So I would have had a three or four year old daughter I was working I was working in the museum for about a year and a half uh, and that was a nine to five five days a week job and after that, there was nothing going on but I had the wherewithal to approach somebody from the um, library who at that point had just reopened as the National Photographs had just moved down to um, Temple Bar and the National Photographic Archive had just opened and um, I proposed that I might go back to work on other collections they had but on Mm -hmm. a piece-by-piece basis um, whereby I you know for every every glass plate I transferred onto film I got paid x amount of money so um, we came to an agreement on that and I went I went back working there and as that turned out Um, I got very, very efficient at the process, and I used to work four days a week from probably half eight in the morning till a quarter to one or so, and I I, I'd crunch through 88 sheets of film shot and processed every day, Um, that's four processes in a deep tank processor, and no problem to me, you know, and so I'd have all of the afternoon and Friday to do my own personal stuff. Um, and now I suppose and that's I suppose I was poking around looking for something to do always you know mm-hmm. and so I'd make little pieces of work uh, at some point I became obsessed with um, uh, Polaroid's Type 55 instant black and white film and um, and I was making some work on that uh, there's various different things I was chasing there was there was a Big uh, hoo ha around about 2008, I think, uh, about Moore Street. And Moore Street was closed down completely. Mm -hmm. And um, the boys who built the Dundrum Shopping Centre were going to make a building on O'Connell Street, Moore Street. They were going to roof Moore Street. um, And you know, erect a memorial to the 1916 rising within this shopping centre and remove Moore Street from the equation. And um, I set about making a 10 by 8 inch work with a friend of mine on that at that point. Um, we were working away on that and, you know, th- one thing led to another. And um, then but 2010, I think it may have been 2010 i'm not 100 percent sure on it to be honest with you but um things started to slide financially in the country specifically mm-hmm. with our institutions and our institutions who had got sort of celtic tiger um, pockets for a few years were just shut down and anybody who was working as a as a um, contractor, or in a loose and tenuous way, as I was, was just waved goodbye straight away. You know, because obviously they had to go back into the core, reevaluate how they made their how they made their works within those environments, and dealt with a much smaller budget than they would have had in years previous. So at that point, I was kind of kind of cut loose um, from working, doing any work, I suppose, with the library, and um, I. I'd since finished work with the museum, even though I was there for uh, two years. I probably had three or four years afterwards where I did little pieces as, as I went along, you know, where they needed somebody to do something extra that their photographer couldn't handle or whatever. So.
0: Um, and this um, you mentioned, because I know you've returned to it recently, the, that particular type of, of Polaroid um, instant film. Well, yeah. if we could, if I move you back a little bit before we come too far into the present yeah, at yeah. the time what was the attraction, why that specific oh it's a
1: tactile thing okay, um, yeah. it's completely tactile um, so it's a it's a 4x5 material, it's 4 inches by 5 inches in size um, it's instant um, you get a negative at the same time as you get a positive, the negative is scannable or printable, you know you can use it in a dark room situation or you can scan it to print It has a unique um, uh, pattern which remains on each sheet of film, which the next sheet of film will not have the same pattern. Each one has its own because you're pulling it through a set of rollers. When you expose the film, you've got a, a packet with a sheet of paper in it and a sheet of film in it. The sheet of film is exposed. And there's two little pouches of chemistry that are pulled across the film as you pull the film through a set of rollers as it's exiting the camera and that makes this unique uh, look for each exposure that you make and yeah I was fascinated with that the instant the instant thing really really caught me but the but the real gem of this film was um, that it gave you this amazingly um fine grained negative with huge detail in it Um, the downside of it was it's a very, very slow uh, film. In other words, it needs a lot of light to expose it Mm -hmm. um, or a long exposure. So um, it's a little bit tricky, um, but, you know, worth putting the time into. And so around about that time, maybe 2008, 2009, it was announced that it was going out of production. And because I'd been working heavily I mean, I've done huge amounts of exhibitions with the National Library. All of the key exhibitions, I did lots of work on. Um, I did some work on some of the museums' exhibitions also, and so at that particular time, I was earning quite a steadily a good income. Um, so I went and bought it up as much as that film as I could. Uh, bought myself a little kind of a beer fridge in, um, in you know, in, in a. Uh, Buddies or one of those places, mm-hmm. and f- and filled it with these packets of film. Um,
0: it's a shot that um, anyone who is interested in a Polaroid film or even Fuji fi- Fuji Instax. Now, uh, people seem to show off their fridges of oh, film really? with, I didn't great, know this. with great with <laughs> great pride. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. This is how I've styled yeah. my fridge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose at the time, like that was not uh, well. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but that would not have been a particularly cheap way of creating work even, oh no, even no, then.
1: No, it wasn't expensive. It wasn't cheap. And it was um, it was about a uh, hundred dollars a packet of 20 exposures. Ouch. And it doubled, it doubled, it doubled in price almost overnight. Mm. Um, when So, so um, I think Polaroid made enough film to last for a year, enough supply for a year in their, in their final run of it and um, announced that they were discontinuing and it. it was all sp- bought in weeks and then it was resold, recirculated at twice the price by people who were selling it on eBay, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um,
0: and then, yeah. did you, because I know you've returned to that particular type of film in recent years, so... Was that something that you, this stock that you had, that, did you keep using it yeah. or well, did, well, did you take I, a break?
1: I, I just put it on ice and left it there and hoped okay. it would still hold together. And it turns out it has. Um, but having said that, I opened up a packet there a couple of weeks ago that all of the, um, all of the uh, sheets inside had kind of stuck mm. internally. Now, they can be fixed, but, but I've, I've left it to one side. I'll leave that till the last. And I went and opened another packet and it worked fine. You know, you have to sort of slowly wake them up by um, by thawing them out a little bit and bringing them back up to temperature. Oh, I see. So
0: when you say you put them on ice, you literally put them on ice.
1: Uh, Well, Well, in in the freezer. In a a cold, no, in a cold fridge. Okay. Um, But um, still, if you chill the chemistry, it goes solid. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it has to be thawed uh, in, in the open air and uh, for a particular amount of time till it's fluid again so it can spread over the image when you pull it through the rollers you know yeah yeah all that kind of stuff but um, i think what happened then was the rest of my life got in the way of that kind of project and i went off down a different track and so i started making some work and i was teaching at the time in 2010 i was teaching up in Ncad. Um, a night class to to the continuing education art and design department, uh, and I had a great bunch of students and um, I was feeling at the time that it, in order to be really, really relevant to my students, I should actually be involved in producing some work that was that they could actually you know uh, look at and 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 uh, and view mm-hmm. and, and think, okay, this guy knows what he 's talking about because he 's done this, 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 and this so um and we were starting into this process too. My, my, um, I suppose, over not quite overnight, but over a short period of time, my income had, I'm sure, had dropped by about 70%. Yeah. Um,
0: because at so, this stage, we're talking about the, the crash, the, the end yeah. of the Celtic Tiger era.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was a kind of a tough time um, on a lot of people. But I found myself in a situation whereby... Um, mostly thanks to my partner uh, to, to to be truthful we found ourselves arriving at that point debt free um and you know we didn't actually have to do too much except you know feed ourselves so um through that whole period we were able to live kind of frugally but have a nice have a reasonably good life and um i was able to concentrate on doing some other things rather than the work I was doing previously, which had disappeared. So I started doing my own project, um, which was around um, emigration. And I felt that really, I was really affected when emigration started to rise again Mm. uh, after that crash. And only because it had stopped, I suppose, you know, because it was always a characteristic of um, our Irish condition that people were always emigrating and always, 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 and it stopped. And was reversed uh, just before it took off again with, you know, Plum back in, yeah. in 20- 2010 or something like that, you know. So, um, yeah, I started making some work around that. And that kind of, once that got legs, it kind of took off. And I was doing that for five years, you know.
0: And that project, as you say, it did grow legs. And I think people mm-hmm. listening perhaps might not know your name, but they will have heard of On Leaving. It was a project that just, it blew up. And you had these shots of people a lot of the time in Dublin city centre and we saw Dublin in a different way. And then obviously it was about emigration. So can you talk me through the the process of putting that all together?
1: Yeah, um, actually, it was interesting that I spent a lot of time thinking about how and why and what could the possibilities be. And... um, kind of thought that if I could actually make the same photograph over and over and over and over again, but of different people in different locations, that then eventually people would get the message of this relentless flow of people out of our, out of the city. Um, so first and foremost, um, I thought of making a shot at night with a person or persons about to leave the city, um, shot using a theatrical lighting um style and um and so i said about that i said i made a couple of tests um and it looked like a very very uh very very possible process and uh, the first person i asked to do the work um i never imagined that they'd say no and they did they were two actually they were too shy to actually go and sit for a photograph. They were leaving to go to Australia. And so um, I was also, as part of this process of of finding a new way of working, finding a new place, trying to um, move on from what I'd been doing up to that point, I started to use a um, blogger page and I made posts on it regularly. Um, And I'd probably maybe made two... A dozen posts by the time I hit on this particular project, um, and um, I put out on the on the um, blog page. I put up a, requ- uh, a request looking for people who were who were leaving the, the the city and who were um, you know feeling it for 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 financial reasons. They were they were moving to another country. Um, I asked if anybody would be interested in working with me and making a photograph to commemorate their departure and so I had two people come back to me from that post and it just went on from there I mean initially I was start uh, after I started shooting I was probably doing um, a photograph every two or three weeks or a month and um, then the pace started to pick up and it ran and ran and ran and uh, um, after I'd made the Um, ninth photograph I think I got a phone call one day which stopped me in my tracks from a man from the um, Wall Street Journal and he was coming to Ireland to make a video about the collapse of the economy he was also going to Italy, Greece and Spain I think and um, he wanted to interview me about this project and I thought wow that's, that's something else um, and that that's was... a
0: sign of you know. Yeah, you... isn't it?
1: There's something going on.
0: <laughs> something going. Yeah, exactly. Like somebody's talking about your work. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And I think I think that the the, um, the interesting thing about this was is how did he get to know that somebody in Ireland was making this work? Mm. And I suppose that's where that um, where that um, my wish to use these different channels where you can disseminate your work. Um, I was posting. Work every time I went and made a shot, I posted live on that blogger page with information about the night, about how it all went, who the person was, where they were going, what they worked at, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and I popped it up there. Um not knowing you know that um i mean I called my i s- i called my blog the lilliputian uh, a photographic blog for the small world in in you know in brackets thinking that yes it's it is a very very small world we live in, but i 'm thinking about our local you know the local I could communicate with the local but mm. i wasn 't really thinking about communicating with the rest of the world initially, but I mean within with with within a month and two months of three months of ma- making the work for someone to be in touch with you from the other part other part of the uh, you know the other continent, it was kind of pretty mad. But um, that didn't stop. It just that just kept on that kept on going going. There was people from all over the place. Australian TV, Chinese TV, French TV, um, Danish TV were all in with me making pieces um, about this work. And um, some actually made, went on shoots with me. Uh, Dutch TV went on a shoot with me up the Dublin Mountains. It was absolutely fantastic how it all panned out, you know. Mm. Um, Yeah, so um, it was a really, really interesting process. Um, And I finished when I photographed... Uh, the same a person I'd photographed before. I'd photographed them twice leaving Dublin. They had left and went to London and were in London for a year and a half, came back for nine months, I think, and they emigrated to Australia. They're still in Australia now, actually, uh, doing really, really well. Um, and th- that's when I finished the series, which was uh, the series was called Leaving Dublin. And it finished, I think, in July um, 2013. I think I finished shooting it. A shot from February um, 2010 to July 2013. And David, Um, you
0: said that, you know, um, like you used the blogger page to start writing and think, uh, maybe even thinking through what this project was going to be in the early stages. Mm -hmm. Around then, there would have been, because of the crash, um, a lot of people say in media in particular, were losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. And there was an element of maybe the reporter who previously just had been the reporter was now the reporter slash photographer. Or Mm -hmm. there was an awful lot of talk at the time um, about social media and the impact it was having. So for a photographer, particularly when you came from, I suppose, a more traditional route into it and with the museum background and all of that, to start using social media in that way, was that? something that you just did without thinking or was there a particular reason for it?
1: I kind of, I suppose I did because I thought it was a space where you could create your own profile and in actual fact, what, what brought me right to it was so I was working in the photographic archive in Meeting House Square one day and I see this giant queue across the road outside the gallery of photography, which went out the door across the square and up the steps. And there are people queuing for a book signing. I said, what's the book signing for? Oh, it's uh, the, the sartorialist is in town. He's released a book. Let's It's with the who? The what? <laughs> so the sartorialist, he's a blogger from mm-hmm. New York. A what from New York? He's a what? A blogger. And so I went and inquired and found out what this guy, I mean, he sold a million of his first book.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it was the first big, um, you know, blog turned to money via publication of a book um, by this lad which is fantastic you know Mm. so I thought oh okay there's a way actually you can communicate with the world. I went on and had a look and I'd seen Oh, there's so many so many um, people actually doing this and so many people are reading this if they've got blog feeds and blog rolls and all sorts of things there's several different platforms providing there's wordpress there's um, tumblr there's blogger there's whatever i noticed blogger was bought by google and i thought well okay maybe we'll go with that one because obviously google do the you know do the um, search engine and therefore maybe if I was on that, maybe people would find it easier. So there was some loose thought process behind it. But what really made me go and set it up in the first place was seeing this thing going on um, across in the square, people queuing to buy this book of someone they never you know they,
0: mm.
1: th- th- that was in a different sphere in a different orbit from from people on the ground in Dublin. So. Th- that was my reason for actually going that way. And then once I got going there, I realised that in actual fact, I didn't have to ask for anybody's permission to make this work or support this work. I could just go ahead and do it. I didn't need any funding from anybody. I had the wherewithal, the tools. I had people uh, people who were willing to actually go out in, in, in all sorts of weathers and work with me, and they had an absolutely fantastic time. We all had a great time. Um, do you know and it was it was um, a really really interesting process to get involved with um.
0: and what about the idea of putting up your photographs as they were as the as the work was in process you know we okay and I know we're very accustomed to doing it now but at that time you would normally have waited on, to see an exhibition of a photographer's work or, or a book or okay in, in a photojournalist context in, in the context of the story but to see Somebody's work develop along the way um, must have been quite interesting for you then as well because you would have been receiving feedback through the blog as to I suppose what what pictures people liked and perhaps didn't.
1: Mm-hmm. An interesting thing for me was that um, I suppose um, when the work was referred to subsequently, you know, when it when it hit the Irish media, people described it as an exhibition or this exhibit was whatever and and it wasn't actually an exhibition it never made exhibition until you know quite some time Mm. after the process was in train you know um so i mean i don't know of any photographic project that has had three pieces done on it on the rte news you know the six one news i don't know of any any project that had that happen to it not that it's a Something to be worn as a badge of honor, but it's just strange. Do you know? It's just weird. But at I, I'm going to stop you there. It is a yeah, badge of honor. Yeah. To
0: see photographic work on the RT news is is quite unusual. To it see is unusual. The same sure. body of work on three times is unheard of.
1: Yeah, that's what I'd be thinking. But but uh, I suppose that another point about it is too that it it definitely caught a prolonged kind of zeitgeist if there's such a thing. Mm. You know, it was. On the money for quite some time over that particular period of time. um suppose the last time I was just about ready to to come to producing a book, and it, it, so I was I was um, you know willing to cooperate with the people in RTE 2 in making these things because obviously they they brought the project to new people, they brought the project on in the next step, and every time the work was uh, the work appeared um but really really interestingly um there was a there was a a person came over from cbs news and as you said earlier um things were changing because this person previously was a producer with cbs news and she was the um she was the producer cameraman and um and yeah she she she, and sound she did everything whereas before there was three people involved Mm. she did it all on her own um and um, when that CBS piece went out, for some reason it was delayed. Oh, I know it was delayed for a week because the week previous, a senator was shot in the head. A female senator from some part of the south was shot, um, and she pu- she pulled through. And it was it the whole week was? The whole weekend was that story was over. And this story was one that you can put on a shelf and take off when you need a story.
0: A good holding piece. Well, here's
1: the thing, right? What did they hang it on? They hung it on um, Brian Cowan resigning as Taoiseach and staying on as the leader of Fian- Fianna Fáil. And then it went bump into my story. And that little piece is gold to me. That Just the, the link, you know, with the newsreader announcing the piece, and also in Dublin, you know, the mm. week when, da, 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 and we're into my story, uh, I was absolutely blown away when it hit. And it wouldn't have happened if it had gone out the week before. And it went out coast to coast in the US. Um, so these kind of things are really, really interesting. Um, and I never imagined starting that pro- process off that that would happen.
0: Am I imagining things, or did the project make billboards at one point?
1: No. Okay. <laughs> That's what right. I know of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just, the whole thing, it, it and it even, I know, like y- you ended up exhibiting in Australia in the end mm-hmm, with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like to have a piece of your work grow to that scale and particularly photography in Ireland because... People don't necessarily think about photographers when we think of creatives in Ireland. We we think of you know Patrick Kavanagh, um, Seamus Heaney. You know we we think of generally writers, maybe painters. Um, it must have been a very interesting time for you.
1: Look, I mean, when I hit the um, exhibition space over in it was in Melbourne, um, and a big old custom house building, not quite as grand scale as ours here but in the same vein is now an immigration museum and they had um vinyl banners down the building you know from from top to bottom Mm -hmm. to to 30 feet 20 20 to 30 feet with this work on it and i nearly passed out you know you don't expect this to happen but i mean even how that came about was very very interesting too because um i got on to somebody in melbourne who somebody told me was I was at school with this guy, somebody told me he was working in a newspaper, I had a fantastic job in this newspaper, and I went and researched his his uh, name in the in the organization, found his email address, sent him an email, and he said, "Well, he get come back to me and he said well i don 't know if it 's something we do, but i 'll give it to my online guy we 've got an online department going here." And see what he he would do with it, you know. And the guy he gave it to was the most amazing journalist um, who worked. He was an Irish guy who'd moved to Australia after the fall of the Irish press. Um, and I can't think of his name for the moment, but he was this, this smashing guy, and he c- c- thought this is an amazing story, and he turned it into a, a story in the paper. But also, it's syndicated to three other papers in Australia at the same time. Um, um, but um somebody in this immigration museum took this story in the newspaper, walked into the room where the people were scratching their heads as to what was the next exhibition they were having in their temporary space, and put the the newspaper down the table and said there's your exhibition that 's the thing yeah, yeah. no and and they sat back and 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 kept an eye on me for for a couple of months. They watch my work, watch and um I gave an interview to uh Ciara uh from the Irish Times, Kira Kenny, who did the Generation Emigration blog. I gave an interview to her in the Irish in the Irish Ar- for the Irish Times uh and um said to her that yet I am I'm, I'm showing the work in Dublin this year um in the photograph in the Photo Ireland Festival in, in June. And as soon as that story went live on the Irish Times, I got an email saying would you be able to bring your work down to Australia when it's finished?
0: That's a call I, I'm guessing you never expected to get.
1: No, but it actually made the whole thing happen in a way that, um, you know, it, it became possible then to make a decent production of the work for the yeah. show because there was some money coming from outside into it. Um, I raised some money through crowdfunding. Um, and it, it, it I think it took about €9,000. To make the work, I mean, and, and I made the work myself too. I printed mm-hmm. it myself. Um, my brother made some framing for me. Um, the only outside um, organization we brought in was um, a f- um, guys down in Blackrock in the frame, dry-mounted all the work for me. And um, you know, I was I had the production line going at home, framing things, uh, framing things up afterwards, um, and we hung it, and it went down so well. But I mean, as soon as it came down off the wall, it went into crates, um, which were just finished the night before the end of the <laughs> exhibition and were shipped off to, to Melbourne um, on a slow boat to Singapore, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: The fact of the matter is, though, none of this would have happened had you not wanted to be, I suppose, relevant to your students at the time?
1: Oh, in in, in a sense, yes. That has, yeah. that, has, that has got a lot to do with it, all right. And but like, I, I suppose that it would be... A lot of other threads running at the same time but one of my one of my most conscious things is that i mean there's no point in in actually being a teacher unless you can you can um you can lead by some sort of an example and show that it is possible to do x y and z or you have a history of making x y and z that could be you know something that people could identify with and help take them forward you know mm-hmm. um yeah so that's interesting. <laughs> True, it is, yeah.
0: And is something, because this, you know, um, I suppose would have been initially a, a bit of a, um, I don't know how you describe it. some people might say a side hustle, a personal project. You know, it was this, this was something that you didn't necessarily have to do. It, it was something that you wanted to do. So how important do you think is it for photographers that they do go and spend time creating work that just for the sake of creating it nearly and just, just going with it and not waiting for a job to land in your lap.
1: Yeah, I, well, so there's, there's probably two things there. I don't think there is any point of doing something for the sake of it, for just mm-hmm. for the sake of it. I think there has to be some guiding, some far off goal that you may be sailing towards, really. Um, and if it is just being relevant and just even being self-fulfilling, well, that's kind of okay, you know, to actually just help feed your own creative aspirations is a worthy reason for making some work, I th- I think. And I suppose, ultimately, um, if a work has got that in it, um, it'll shine through, you know, that there is some sense of hunger in a person producing something that they want to make something that is that is of worth. I knew in the middle of this, piece of work that it was my it's that's my kind of legacy piece as far as photography is concerned you know that when this is said and done i will never be able to do anything that outweighs it or is better than it or trumps it you know or 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 this is the piece that that if i'm going to be remembered as a photographer it's for that but i knew that very early on i i knew there was something going on probably because of those phone calls i got in the Mm -hmm. early days from Uh, CBS or or, or the Wall Street Journal or whatever, you know. Um, And, of course, the calls from Inside in Ireland came after that, but that's always the way things go, you know. Um, It's always the way things go, but that's that's all right, too. Um, But I suppose the most important thing is that if you are going to make some work and you want to make something that's for yourself, and you're working towards that kind of goal is that you don't have to wait for anybody to give you permission to do it. You know, you can just find a way of going forward and doing it yourself. And then there are always ways of circulating the work. And you know, there's um, a, a blog is not is not something that is um, as um, as effective as it would have been in 2010, in 2012, or whatever. Um, you generally see them as a way of people sharing news on a on their on their better practice mm-hmm. a website, for example, now, whereas before there would have been something different. Um, but there are other different ways that people use now to make communications with the world and always be on top of those things and see what's going on. If you hit the right one you'll you'll get your work out to who you need to get it out to for sure
0: so let's move on then to present day Um, and we mentioned you did return to those uh, packs of film that you you had in the fridge what are you working on at the moment
1: so um, I made a I made a conscious decision a couple of months ago actually to first because we had some because I had some time off to go and spend some time reworking my website Um, and I spent a long time on that um, and put together a new site which I think is kind of easier to navigate cleaner and gives a good overview of my work. Generally, my previous site gave all my work away, you know, everything Mm -hmm. was there. And so if you wanted to find out anything about my work, you only had to go to my website and it was all there. Therefore, um, I did not have any huge sales for my book that was available also on that site because, well, why would you bother? Everything is there. So, So now I've slipped Um, slim things back as regards content but it has a good overview of what i do who i am and the book is also available on the on one side of the page if if anybody finds their way to it Um, and actually the process of putting that together was an amazing process because i did one further part um, something i never ever thought i would do um I, i mean i traveled around australia visiting with people i'd photographed before they went to Australia. I went to the US, Canada, Brazil, um, Europe, and, you know, tracked around meeting people and making more photographs of them for another um, part of the work, which is part of the book. Um, So that was a really, really interesting process. Um, Mm. And I didn't think I was going to actually, I mean, in a time when the world had cooled down. There was no um, great financial reward in work. I think I did the most traveling I've ever done in my life, which is brilliant. And I enjoyed it immensely.
0: Um, And we hope that we can get back to those times of of travel. Um, Yeah, yeah. And uh, seeing other people's stories and, and learning more about other people and your project at the moment then with the, the PAC film, what's that one about?
1: Yes. So, so um, again, coming back to this time we find ourselves in now, I find myself at home. I find myself, there's my fridge it's still there. I still have all that film. Um, but also I'm looking for a way of, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the photographs that I'd made with that film already. And I noticed there are particular types of things um, which kind of define me as a person, I suppose. And they could be the oddest little things like a sweeping brush, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, um, or some flowers I grew in my garden you know um, so I'm looking at those and I'm thinking oh okay there, there is something here because this is really really precious material um, because now it, it, it's never going to be made again there's been two attempts at making replacements of it by do you remember there was an organisation called the Impossible Project who made do, yeah. film for the, um, for the what camera is it the, you know, the camera that the, the film slides at the bottom
0: there was they the had a, 600, the, wasn't it? Yeah, the
1: 600, exactly. They yeah. had a go-making go film for a Type 55. They called it New 55. I'd never seen it, and it, it was around... They eventually got it to market in twenty between 2014 and 2016 or 17, I think. Um, and I only checked it out there a little while ago, and the, the results looked really crap mm. and to me, to my eye, um, in respect to the results that you get from the original thing. But there's somebody that has... Somebody has actually put another, a second um, version together, which looks even worse, actually. But it's the same kind of principle. Um, so this stuff will never be around again. I've got maybe ooh, 150 to 170 sheets of it hanging around here right now, unexposed. And hopefully I'll get I'll get quite a lot of that shot. So I was talking to a friend of mine who has this uh, space downtown in Wicklow Street, Jeannie uh, Wenham. And, um, it's a great, it's a great spot. And she was running this uh, space as um, a studio, event space, um, place for launching products, place for doing photo shoots. And she was running it for two years and put her back into it. And she was about to actually break even and start taking an income from the pro- project when the COVID hit. Yeah. So that sent her into a tailspin, of course, but. During the summer we started talking together and um, she came to me really and said, you know that thing you were working on, like, it's kind of interesting. Is there anything you think you might be able to do with it? So we had a, a long talk about it and we came up with the concept then of um, making a show down the line uh, whenever things start to clear up. So she has these beautiful two rooms two, 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 uh, which face out onto Wicklow Street with these giant big windows. Um, place Bathe in Light, two beautiful exhibition spaces. We're going to show some of these works. Um, I've already printed four of them actually to one meter by 1.3 or 1.4 meters, and they look amazing. Um, so we're going to show maybe a dozen of them, and we're going to invite the public. Uh, so, again, the subject matter is kind of precious uh, objects which speak of yourself. That may be mundane things, but to you they're you know they're you they 're about you, and we 're asking people to have a look at those things they might have that are precious to themselves um, and we're going to well the plan is to run a series of of workshops when we when we actually can You know we can have people in the space mm-hmm. and go through the process of taking um, items from people. Um, making a choice of five or six items from the things that they are given to us, and making photographs of those on this material in a workshop environment, explaining what the process is and how it works and all that kind of stuff. So that's something we're planning to do down in the future, um, and hopefully it's, it's got, it'll come together, but obviously the world has to open up a little bit before we can. Uh, exhibition spaces are shut down for the moment, um, and hopefully they'll be open, and we can get on with that, get on with the planning of that process. hoping yeah
0: I can we were wait hoping to... to do
1: something in November, um, mm-hmm. but obviously that's you know whether it's February, March, April, May, who knows you know that's probably where it's going to be when we actually get to it
0: well, David, I do look forward to seeing that, and I, I hope we'll see it sooner rather than later yeah, definitely yeah, me too. Me too. so it this is a my last question david and it's yeah. a question i ask everybody what does storytelling mean to you
1: um i suppose it's it's in, in that engagement you know if somebody can can um tell a good story um there's some People who are gifted storytellers, for sure, and it's just because they can—they can, you know—they can pitch things in at a level that draws you in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Pete Smith. You ever—you know Pete Smith? Yeah. He's yeah. a great man for telling stories. He has tons of stories, and um, everyone is a winner, you know. And he always gets me uh, when he's when he's talking, you know. So that's to me, um, storytelling is all about that—just bringing people somewhere, you know.
0: Do you try to embody that in your work?
1: Um, to an extent, I suppose there's a huge story and a yes. Uh, I could never take a photograph and let it go without writing some text around it. And I always feel that's really, really important because um, not only does it give context, it stops, it, it's, it's sort of attaches a label to your work, which more defines what it actually is rather than, leaving it too loose, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, When a person approaches your work in an exhibition, they can, you know, they bring a lot to it, for sure. And um, a lot of what they see is brought to the work by them. Um, But when you write about it, that sort of shifts the context a little bit and actually lays out what it was you were trying to say, what story you're trying to tell in this particular situation.
0: My thanks to David Monaghan for joining me here on Ireland Creates this week. I know this episode was a little bit longer than usual, but to be honest, I didn't want to cut him short. I was enjoying it a little bit too much. So now it's over to you. Please do get in touch with me through my website, aislingarourke.com or on Instagram at AshlingMakestories Makes Stories. And let me know who you'd like to hear from on Ireland Creates. And of course, please do like and subscribe this podcast on your chosen platform. And remember, please do support Irish creatives this festive season.